0: Have you ever had a moment in your life where you thought to yourself in that moment, whatever I'm hearing right now is too damn good to be true? Well, I had this moment after speaking to my guest today, as he's someone that I've been wanting to have on the show for quite some time now, and man, was I glad we made this happen. The infinite banking concept was something I did a deep dive on about a year ago, and I always had the intention to get started on it. However, my business and life just simply got in the way of following through. But after my conversation with Darren, I now have more clarity on how the infinite banking concept can supercharge my growth and shortcut my journey to FI. So if you're sitting there thinking, I have no idea what the infinite banking concept is here, Tom, well, no worries, my friend, you will after this episode, and you won't look at investing or money the same way. If you are someone who understands the power of infinite banking and have either started implementing it or have the intention to... Be sure to stick around as we dive deep on a few tactics that I haven't heard elsewhere myself. If you're new to the show, my name is Tom Moffitt, and I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Brandon Love. Our show is geared towards helping Canadians achieve financial independence through real estate, investing, and entrepreneurship. So if that sounds like you, be sure to follow along, and let's dive right into the episode.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Invested Entrepreneur. It is Brandon Love here with my good buddy, Tom Moffitt, and special guest, Darren Mitchell from Control and Compound. Darren, we're going to get right into it today, and we're going to be talking about a lot of the stuff here. So can you just talk to me about infinite banking? What is it? How does it work? Give me the nuts and bolts of things. Sure. So,
2: yeah, so there's a lot to unravel, but I'll give you the sort of shortened version. Basically, you have to save your money somewhere. Your money has to reside somewhere. So, we think that place should be a rock solid, bulletproof place that's not subject to market corrections or fluctuations in the stock market. We can talk why cash value life insurance is the best place for that. So, we grow that money inside a cash value life insurance policy for the rest of our life, tax free. Never pay a nickel on that, corporate or personal dollars. We grow that money tax-free, we're gonna have a tax-free retirement, but we're gonna multiply those dollars and also provide a death benefit for our family if something happens to us or to keep that business or apartments in the family when you die. And then the third thing we're gonna do, we're gonna multiply money again, and we're gonna literally keep the money in the policy so it's compounding tax-free for a tax-free retirement, and we're gonna leverage that money, 90% of it, to put back into the business or back into real estate or back into some other opportunity that we can grow our money. So we're talking about and assets. Every other asset you have is an or asset. Do I put money in real estate or my business or my RSP? This is an and asset. I'm going to put my money in the cash value life insurance, grow it tax-free for a tax-free retirement, multiply it for a death benefit, but also be able to use that money short-term to grow my business and keep my business afloat. Okay.
0: The main reason why I did a huge deep dive on this about a year ago was because of the fact that you can borrow from your policies, which I thought was super cool. And it still grows while you're borrowing it. And obviously, we'll go through the details of like how that works and how you do have to technically repay that and set up a payment structure. But before we go there, in your mind, after dealing with probably hundreds of clients, like who is this right for? Sure. So we typically only deal
2: with entrepreneurs, business owners, real estate investors, people that have a healthy income you know family income 100k and a plus i don't think this is for everyone and that's where i kind of vary from some of the people in this industry that if you can fog a mirror great you're a perfect person let's go you know i think if you're not able to save five or ten thousand dollars a year then you're probably not ready for this strategy you should focus on you know Managing your budget or investing in yourself to improve your income. So, you do have that amount of money, you know, $100 a month into something like this, you're not going to get to a point where you can, you know, really get the benefits of this. But if you're a real estate investor or business owner, no brainer, like business owner, the corporate money, it's a slam dunk because there's so many additional levels of taxation we face as business owners and
1: this can defer or eliminate a lot of them. Okay, that's cool, I like that. So is there like a sweet spot in terms of money you would want to have in a policy where it starts to make sense, or is it one of those things you build towards? How does that approach work for someone who doesn't have this in place at all?
2: Yeah, so typically, again, think of it as a savings vehicle. And if you think of it from a savings vehicle, it's like people say, well, how much do I have to put into this? And I'm like, well, nothing. But think of it as your opportunity fund. How big of an opportunity do you want to take advantage of? right? So I put in multiple six figures a year because I think this is an amazing place to grow my money for a tax-free retirement and use it in the short term. But you're typically not going to see anything under $500 to $1,000 a month, all the way up to twenty-five dollars a year or something like that. A lot of people, when they learn about you know RSPs versus this, or sometimes taking that twenty-five dollars or thirty grand into RSPs and putting it in here, just saving it at a different spot, we get a lot of business owners sitting on cash that will throw, you know, significantly more than that in, like multiple six figures in a year, because as opposed to saving for like an RSP where you put your money and it's in prison for the rest of your life, here you put your money in, and if I can't make payroll this summer, I know I can access that money in my cash value life insurance policy. And so there's no fear of putting this money in there, knowing I have access to it, and that's really the key for business owners because business owners tend to be sitting on so much cash because they're scared to invest, because what's going to happen next quarter, next year, I need access to that money. Cool. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I find we do that in our industry, specifically because it's feast or famine, seasonal slowdowns, you know, spring market, you make your nut for the year, and then January might be a bit quieter. So you're sometimes sitting on that whole chunk of money, which, you know, it's not doing anything for you at that point. It's just sitting there not collecting any interest or, or anything, right? So. I think every business is seasonal. Like
2: in our business, it's the fall in January when people get excited in spring to get it done before summer. You know, there's not a lot of people beating down our door in the middle of July, yeah. you know, as opposed to your business, summer's busy. Like we have a couple cattle farmers. I love these people. Like they use this infinite banking policy. They sell their herd off to market in the fall, and then they fund their policies and all this stuff. And then they start accessing loans to buy the little cows in the spring, feed, grow, cost. Borrow against it and then sell. So, really, you know, when they say it's called infinite banking concept, the possibilities are infinite. So, yeah, across the board
0: business. That's really cool. That's a cool example because it's like basically saying any business can get into this as long as it makes sense from like a cash flow perspective. And from my mindset, the way I simplified in my mind, and please correct me if I'm wrong because I'm new to this, but let's say you have 50K every year that you know you're going to be having like a cash surplus in your business. And instead of having that sit in either your personal bank account or a corporation, or even investing it into like high-risk stocks, you're saying, maybe not all of it, but put it into a policy for this example. And that's going to grow the policy. You're going to have the compound interest in it. And then at any point, if you wanted to pull that money you can do so and invest that in whatever else you want to do. And that policy is still growing in the background as long as you repay the money you're taking out. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. So just a couple clarification.
2: I wouldn't say you're borrowing from the policy. You're borrowing against the policy is technically right. If I've got 100 grand in there and I'm borrowing 90 grand to take advantage of an opportunity, I still have the full 100 grand in there, like you said. So we like the term borrowing against it. But yeah, that's exactly it. And, you know, you got business owners sitting on retained earnings. Yeah, That's really tax efficient money, right? Like an Ontario, like level 12, 12.2% tax on that first 500000 so you get these tax-efficient dollars, and you talked about investing, and we can get into you know, the three or four levels of taxation when you start investing inside a business. We can address all four of them.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show is for that specific topic, because Brandon and I are always toying with like what to do with the money that we hold in our corporations. And I like the idea that you can invest that in there without incurring I believe it's 35% for capital gains in your corporation, correct? For any gains? Yeah, so a couple of things. Yeah, you can
2: place dividends, capital gains. Capital gains be a little less than that. It'd be roughly half the top tax bracket of 53. But where most business owners are looking at, let's picture a pie. You get a million dollar portfolio. Well, the low hanging fruit. In other words, the money I think that would make sense in here is more the fixed income. So if we go back to the business owner sitting on 100, 200, 300, 400 grand of cash because they don't know what's going to happen, right? that money, that cash, that's the first place we go because when you start putting money in a high-risk investment, it's really not accessible to the business. If the stock market drops 40% and all of a sudden an opportunity comes along, are you going to cash out when you're down 40%? So we think for a portion of your money, it's got to be rock solid and bulletproof. So if you invest, say, in a bond, a GIC, somewhere, high interest savings account, you're going to pay upwards of 50% tax on the growth. And then you're going to pay tax when you go to get that money out. Yeah. And then you're going to pay tax when you die. And then if you have too much money in there, now apparently, if you have more than $50,000 of passive income, that is too much for a business owner. And they're going to tax you 70 80 90% on that money. So politicians can have $150,000 pension. That's okay, but we can only have, as business owners, $50,000 of passive income. So that's four levels of taxation. Taxation on the growth, taxation when you go to spend it, taxation when you die, and then that passive income one. Well, if we take those $0.88, cent dollars, pay our 12% tax, we can put that money in a policy. The growth is tax-free. The loans are tax-free. The death benefit, depending on when you die, but usually most or all of it can flow out tax-free not just the cash value, but the death benefit as well, tax-free to your beneficiaries, let's say say it's your family, and then the passive income rules, we've eliminated that because there's no tax on the growth on this, there's no tax slip, so you're never going to run into that passive income. So we've got a lot of clients that just come in and say, I haven't been investing inside my corp because I'm running up against that $50,000 passive income or I'm scared to.
1: Yeah, And they're like, oh, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. And when you borrow against a policy, who sets that rate? Is it set by you? Is it set by the company? Like, how does that work? Yeah, it depends how much we like you, what we charge. No. <laughs> so
2: each insurance company has their own rate. So we have really seen an uptick on those rates as interest rates have uh, increased. So, you know, if you go back a year and a half, two years ago. Almost all the rates were 4.45 to 4.7. A high was 6.2. Today, you're talking anywhere the four companies we deal with between 6.5 and 9, 9.2, somewhere in those. So some of those are completely variable that will up and down with the interest rates. So we'll expect in the next couple of years, you guys tell me exactly when, but in the next couple of years when rates come down, those rates will drop But again, mostly it's short term money. And then if it's longer term money, like in retirement, because we keep talking about repaying those loans, but we'll get into it in a minute, you don't necessarily have to repay them in the later years. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to shop that. And there's some banks set up specifically to loan on these. And there's Mm -hmm. a few American firms now, I think, trying to come to Canada even to do more loans on those. Those ones we can usually get a little bit better interest rates. But in the short term, we don't really care whether it's six, seven, or 8%. If you need 50 grand, to take advantage of an amazing opportunity that's going to make you 30 or 40% and you're going to borrow money for a year. Yeah. Who gives a shit if it's 6 or 8%? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think people get hung up on the rate. And when you start getting to the higher rates, of course, like you want the rate lower. But when you actually compare it against the investments you're making from pulling that money out, hopefully you're doing some sound investments and you're making money on that. You compare that to the interest you're paying on that. And also your policy is still growing while you're borrowing from it too. So I'll tell you a quick story. So I remember years ago, I'm down
2: in Florida. I was at this conference and it was this accountant talking about 2008. And he goes, all my clients are business owners. And he goes, in 2008, when everything crashed, nobody could access money. Everybody's money was in the stock market or real estate. Everything had plummeted. Banks weren't giving loans. And he had this client, he said, I forget what business, he had a franchise. He goes, he had a $2 million cash value in his policy. And he borrowed a million in change from that and he bought 13 additional franchises at 30 cents on the dollar. It was like a fire sale, right? And smart ass Insurance guy puts his hand up and goes, was the loan rate on that 5 or 7%? <laughs> and the accountant's like, who gives a crap? Yeah. He made millions of dollars. He's 10x richer four years later yeah. by doing this. The point was he had access to money. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, you know, he's called control and compound. I used to think compound was be all to end all still fantastic, right? Tax-free, uninterrupted compounding. But to me, that control is even more important. Now, when I studied the wealthy and I spent a lot of time and money studying the wealthy, they don't operate like you and me. They don't give up control of their money. And that's what I really try to do now is keep control of my money because they don't lose when the markets go down. They're in control. They take advantage of opportunities.
1: Yeah, I love that. So when you're borrowing against that policy, is it I've got $100,000 put in. I can borrow up to 100000 against it. Or is there like a loan to value ratio? Is there a leverage opportunity there? Like how does that piece of things work? Yeah, so the simple plain
2: Jane version is 90% of your cash value. Okay. So if you get hundred dollars $90,000. Now, when you go to get this loan, they're going to ask you two questions. So you're going to be prepared for this. They're going to ask you, just like you guys, you know, dealing with mortgages, the questions. When you go to get a loan in an insurance company, we're going to ask you, do you want a check, or do you want to deposit it in your bank account? So you're going to have to answer that question. And that's the only question we will ask. (laughs) (laughs) That's the extent of it. There's no financials. There's no reporting to a credit agency. Doesn't show up on your credit report. So I love to use this as down payments on mortgages. So picture this. In my operating company, I make money. I pay 12% tax. I have $0.88. dollars. Or I could have had fifty cent dollars if I took that dollar and paid it out to myself. So now I'm seventy six percent ahead, eighty eight cent dollars. Roll that into my holco. Now my holco, I put that money into a cash value life insurance policy. I bought a fourplex a couple of years ago in Cornwall. Had to come up with eighty grand for a down payment. Fourplex was three seventy five. So now me, I try to go to my kids and brainwash them since they were little, and I go, "All right, kids, great opportunity, good cash flow. Actually, cash flow, right? You know, place I bought in poor credit." The condo was twice as much as my fourplex in Cornwall, but that was a cash flow deal. So I said, can I access money for a down payment for my RSPs? No, that money's in jail. All right, the kids have been listening. Nice. What about your education fund? No, that money's in jail. What about this beautiful cash value life insurance policy? And they're like, yeah. And I said, well, why don't I leave that, let the cash value grow tax-free for the rest of my life so I have a tax-free retirement. And I just called the insurance company up and said, hey, can I have 80 grand of your money? And they said, sure. They didn't ask me what it was for when I was paying it back. No questions. They said sure. Then I went to the bank. Said, "Hey, I need a mortgage." And the bank goes, "Where'd you get your down payment from?" And I said, "I borrowed against my cash value." What do you think of that? And he's like, "Stop being an idiot, Darren. I know you do this all the time. Yes, it doesn't affect your borrowing capacity. That's fine." So now we did that. We're going to do a refinance this year. We actually did some renovations on this place. Now the valuation's around 640. We'll refinance that. I'll pay off my policy loan. I didn't make any payments on the policy loan other than the cash flow I was putting towards it. I never used a nickel of my own money cash flow positive opportunity and that didn't affect my policy one cent if i took a loan or didn't take that loan my policy would have grown the exact same so to me i call those and opportunities right and i do private lending the same way you know i borrowed hundred grand at five percent loaned it out at 15 i just pocketed the 10 grand difference and opportunity didn't affect my
0: policy growth whatsoever so when you're going to do that you're setting your own terms, so you can pay back the loan at any point? Is that how it works? Like- yeah,
2: so I mean, the guy works with his dad who was former commercial banker at one of the big banks. When he first learns about these loans, he's like, these are like the holy grail of loans. Like, what do you mean? Like, So you know, the loan is tax deductible. So assuming you use it for business or investment opportunities, it's tax deductible. It's uncallable. So valuations change, business goes south, COVID version 17.0 comes back, whatever happens. There's nothing they can do to call that loan. And then the third one we kind of referenced, it's unstructured. And an unstructured loan is phenomenal for business owners and real estate investors. You pay that loan back when you want, how you want, and if you want. When you want, how you want, if you want. That's huge. Now, we do want you repaying the loan in the younger years. At your guys' ages, we want you paying back that loan. Because if you borrow that money and never pay it back, well, you're going to have interest accumulate. And then you're not going to have access to a lot of money. So in the early years, you know, the first 20, 30 years, depending upon your age, pay back those loans. But once you reach retirement, now we can actually borrow that money and say, you know what, we're never going to pay back this loan. We're going to let it accumulate and it'll be paid off by the death benefit. But by that point, now our cash value and death benefit has grown so high because we've had this uninterrupted compounding. We have a massive cash value, massive death benefit. And the cool part in retirement Most people save a million dollars or whatever your number is and then start spending it, you know, 950, 900, 850 when they're spending it in retirement. You could retire here with a million dollars cash value and have two or three million dollars of cash value by the time you die because we're continually compounding it even in retirement and we're just taking tax-free loans against that death benefit. So that 100 grand or 50 grand or whatever you're taking those loans in retirement Those are tax-free money
1: that you're not paying back till you die. Wow. That sounds amazing. So I've got one question that just comes to mind because sometimes, you know, it's like holy grail. It sounds too good to be true. What is the downside? What is the risk? Why isn't everyone doing this? And why don't you take it there? So my second book, that was the last chapter of my thing. I was like, the questions we get the most, why isn't
2: everybody doing this? Why haven't I heard about this before? What are the downsides? So great question. So there's over a billion dollars a year goes into this in Canada. So this is way bigger than people think, okay? But the banks can't sell it. Banks can't sell this type of product. The banks don't want you to be in control of your money. You think of a 22-year-old starting an RSP in their first job. They put their money in the RSP. The bank has control of that money. They hang on to control for the next 50 years, and then they drip it back to you 30 years in retirement. That's 80 years of them controlling your money. Here you're controlling your money, so the banks can't sell it's the big one. The downsides, really, there's two big downsides. This is not designed to be a one year put money in and then stop this. This has to be funded over a period of time. So the only really downsides if you put money in this year and you cancel it within a year, you're probably going to lose anywhere from ten to thirty percent of your money. So if you put in twenty grand, you're going to get back seventy to ninety percent of that, depending upon the structure. Right. Once you get through the second year, then there's usually enough money you can pause for a year or two and then go back. So it's got to be funded. The bigger down risk is this is becoming increasingly popular across North America. Exponential growth curve. A lot of firms like mine that are you know doing national business, we operate in every province and every territory, and then you get every Tom, Dick, and Harry say, hey, I can do infinite banking too. Yeah, sure. I get an insurance license. And they set up the wrong policy with the wrong company structured for comp of the advisor as opposed to maximizing the cash value. And those policies are crap. I mean, I'm sure in your business there's the odd person that went and got the real estate license because real estate sales were easy, and the odd person got the mortgage broker license, but they're not experts at it, right? So mm -hmm, this is all we do. We deal with business owners, real estate investors, high net worth individuals to implement the infinite banking concept into their system. We're not going to sell you a mutual fund or an RSP this is what we do and we're experts at it.
0: Yeah. So when you open up a policy and let's say you're paying into the policy for a total of 20K a year, if you wanted to stop, you would basically cancel the policy. And at that point, whatever the cash value is of that is what you're getting back and you could be out of pocket. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying in the early couple of years.
2: So basically when you start a policy, I equate it to doing a renovation on a property, right? First couple of years, you're underwater. So if you put 20 grand in, you might have 16, 17, $18,000 cash value year one, right? By year two, pretty close. By year two and three, if you put in 20, you're growing by 20, and then you're rocking and rolling after that point. So you know, if you put money in for five or six years and decide, screw this, I'm done, I'm canceling it, you'll get all your money back effectively, right? Right. Even in year three or four, you're getting 90, 95% of your money back, right? Plus you had the insurance death benefit for that period of time. What I was saying is once you get to the year two, you could be at a point, say you have thirty-five grand of cash value and you're gonna come up with a twenty grand premium in year three you don't have any money. Well, you could actually borrow 20 grand from your own policy uh, to make the premium payment. Now, again, not a great long-term uh, strategy.
1: Right. Yeah, but right.
2: you're kind of you're at a point now where you've got a safety net built in that, yeah, I should fund this for the next seven or ten years or twenty years, whatever, you know, at least six or seven ideally. But once you get through the first couple of years, if you go sideways a year or two there's all kinds of flexibility built in that we can do that if it's set up correctly. Right. So this would be like, when I say, if set up correctly, like less than one tenth of 1% of the policy sold in Canada would be set up like this. Right. I mean, not just because advisors don't know how, because a lot of insurance is just purely for death benefit, right? Like
0: yeah, exactly. purely for cash value, the death benefit comes along for the ride in a lot of cases. Okay. So if you're opening up a policy and you're someone that you're near three or whatever year it is, and you want to start drawing from it. Is there ever a situation where your death benefit wouldn't cover the cash value if you were to pass away and you've just been borrowing from this thing and your interest that you haven't been paying back on the loan itself, like, is there ever a situation where that death benefit never is able to be sufficient to pay back? No. So, the way it's always going to be is the death benefit is going to be the highest number, followed by the
2: cash value, followed by the loan. Okay. Because the loan is only 90% of the cash value. So, it, the loan has to be smaller. Okay? okay. Now, the cool part is well, up till we have had this sort of spike in interest rates, and we'll get back to where we've been the last 150 years. We're at a point where, you know, if you got a hundred grand of cash value and you've got a $50,000 loan, well, sure, maybe your loan grows by three grand if you don't pay it off, but your hundred grand of cash value is going to grow by five or six thousand. So typically that's why the 90%, right? It's meant never to catch the cash value. Now, if you borrowed 90.0% day one and something happened and you had to pay, you know, 500 bucks of interest to get you to that 90%, I'm sure that can happen, but we don't see it really.
1: Okay. That's interesting. So just going back to when you say like year two or three, people stop funding their policy. Are you setting up, let's say, I want my policy to be a million dollars. I'm contributing 100000 a year for the next 10 years, and that's my commitment. Or is it like my target goal is a million dollars, and I can contribute when I have surplus? Like How does that piece work? Yeah, we will always build in the maximum amount of flexibility that we possibly can.
2: Okay. And the way we do that is to maximize the cash. It's like life. If you have a bag of cash, you got options. And a cash value life insurance, if you maximize that cash by year or two or three, you can say, you know what, I'm going to take four or five years off of paying this because I'm focused on this part of the business now. And then I'll resume it. So you build all kinds of options in there but you still can cancel it, right? Like we don't get cancellations, but you know, if in year five or six or three, you want to cancel it, well, year six or seven, you're probably getting more than you put in. Year three, you're probably getting close to what you put in. Maybe by year four or five, you're getting all of what you put in. I mean, it's a rounding error, right? If you put in forty grand and you get back thirty-seven grand, you had the insurance for two years, and it's corporate money. Yeah, you know, so we don't get cancellations, but I love talking about cancellations because it's the break glass and in case of emergency, right? Yeah, you know, I can talk to a business owner who made a million dollars a year for the last twenty years, and he's worried about if he's going to make any money this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
2: he wants to know if everything hits the fan, can I get out of this thing? What if I got to go to Belize? If I hear that question one more time, right? <laughs> what if I decide to move? Well, great. Cash it all in. Of all the things going to cost you to cash in and move to Belize, a couple thousand dollar loss on an insurance policy isn't the big thing. And that's only in the early years. In the later years, you're going to sell it yeah. for a
0: yeah. yeah. And before you even go that route, you would be looking at like, okay, can we draw from this and take a loan out to act as a buffer until you get to a situation where you have money coming in? Like that would be the first thing you look at before actually canceling the policy.
2: Every single time someone says we need to cancel, we're like, well, why don't you just Money tax-free yeah. policy. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, And to your point, so you know, a typical plan might be, say, for a forty-year-old. I right, we're going to plan to pay this for the next twenty, or have the option to pay this for the next twenty or thirty years. Right? You might only end up contributing seven of those thirty years. That's fine. But we want to build in the maximum amount of room when we go through underwriting, because the insurance company is going to look and say, okay, if they made every payment, how much death benefit would they have? We need to make sure they're insurable for that today. And that just gives you the flexibility. Like we've got a ton of people that say, I'm only going to pay for 10 years and then I'm done, right? 25 grand a year for 10 years, I'm done. And we're like, all right, why don't we just run it for 20 or 30 just to have that flexibility? And then year 11 comes and it's like, okay, you still have to put your money somewhere. This is probably by far your best place to save money. You've seen how it works for 10 years. That 25 grand deposit is gonna increase your cash value 37,000 or whatever the number is. Why would you not put money in here and put it in a bank account? And they're like, all right, I'll continue to fund it. So we get people retired still funding these policies because your money needs to reside somewhere. And if you change your mind in three months, great, you can access tax-free loans to access the money.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's say your target goal is to have half a million in there. Can you front load it so I would say, hey, Darren, can I put in a hundred thousand this year one, and then I'm going to contribute kind of from there over that next twenty year horizon? Like, is that an option? So, not an extreme front load. We can't put a million bucks in this
2: year and then five hundred bucks a year for the next five years. Yeah. But yeah, there are ways we can, you know, maybe get two years of premium, the equivalent in year one, or a little more and then resume at a lower premium. Cause yeah, we get a lot of that with business owners that are sitting on cash and they're like, all right, let's do a 50 grand policy. But it's like, hey, can I throw a hundred grand in year one to sort of jumpstart this? And the answer is yes. We just got to make sure we structure it properly.
0: Okay. Or you just open a second policy, right? Like you can start small and say someone wants to start with 20K a year. You start with that policy. And then if you wanted to increase it, you could put more towards that policy. But you have that threshold. But you can also open up a new policy and keep growing from there and have multiple policies within the same umbrella.
2: Yep. So like year three, all of a sudden, you're like, all right, Darren, this actually is doing exactly what you said it was going to do. Like we love our annual reviews. Like, okay, everything just worked out like it has for the last 150 years. Boring, but effective. But you know. It's like, okay. So then people want to do more. And we're like, well, listen, we can't fit more than 20 grand, say, in that policy. So, yes, we'll start a second, third, or fourth policy. I've got nine of these now, right? First policy was, ah, that's all I'm ever going to need. And then I was like, oh, well, then I'll do corporate ones. And then I'm like, oh, I'll do a corporate one on my spouse. And then I'll do policies on my children. And like, there's all kinds of stuff you can do with this. But if you are the business owner or someone sitting on a bunch of cash, there is a way that we can effectively, you know, double up that year one and get you a little jump start. Cause You know, you start a little underwater for that first couple of years. Well, we can kind of almost eliminate that by two years premium roughly up front.
0: Okay, that's sweet. I like this because it jumps right into the premise of our show, which is financial independence for Canadians. And I like the fact that, like, if you have a successful business and you're like, you know what, I'm having fun doing this, but I don't see myself doing this in 10 or 15 years' time from now, I have all this money coming in, I need to put it somewhere and I want to set up these policies so I know in 10 years from now, I have the option to retire and draw from these policies that FI moment in my life. Can you sit down with that person and set up a plan and say, hey, in 10 years time from now, I want to have X amount of cash value in my policy, and then I'm able to withdraw from that and never pay a dime for the rest of my life? Can you do that? 100%. Every single day, that's what we do. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what we do.
2: Now, I will caution you, as business owners, they usually don't retire when they say they're going to. <laughs> like, eh, life's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I've gone on seven trips this year and I've, you know, conferences and I've done this and that and, you know, I golf 30 rounds a year. And. Well, only going in four days a week, three days a week. Yeah, maybe I'll continue on. But yeah, absolutely. That's what we do day in, day out. People come and say, okay, where's the most effective place to save money? We'll show you why we think this is. And then how does this help our retirement? Well, based upon this number, you can take this amount of money tax-free in retirement. Oh, I was hoping to do more. Great. We'll do more. Or let's start here. And then if you like it in two years, we'll do a second policy and we can build in some guarantees that you don't go through medical again the second time. There's all kinds of... Detailed plans, but yeah, exactly what you explained is how we set up our meetings. And
0: it's funny because like, that is the premise of our show. We don't talk about the FIRE movement. We erase the RE from it, retire early, because we find that business owners that are passionate and are doing well, they just want to keep working and doing their thing. So it's funny you say that. So I have a little bit of life insurance in place. And I did find like the initial wave, you got
1: to go through all the physicals, all that stuff. Is that the same for these policies as well, that you have to do that out the gates? And is there an advantage to doing it early? Like I remember when I put mine in place, it was right around, I was like 31 years old. And they're like, get it done now because it's going to affect your premiums. Is that the same for this? Yeah, great question. So a couple things changed really. COVID,
2: you'd like this as an entrepreneur story. So my business is going really well. And then COVID hit. And at the time, almost all of our cases were nurse had to come to your house and do blood work and stuff. And then during COVID, they just announced, okay, nurses can no longer come to your house. And we're sitting around the office going, huh, that's kind of 95% of our business. That's going to be a challenge. And then fortunately, the insurance companies got together and said, well, this isn't going to work. So they actually massively increase the amount of death benefit they give without fluids. Okay. So now typically it's just a phone conversation because if you think of it, the insurance company is looking at the death benefit and our goal is to drive the death benefit down as small as possible so we can have the highest cash value. Yeah. So we don't have significantly big death benefits so to your point, hundred percent buy when you're young for death benefit. If you're just I, buying yeah. term insurance, cause then it's pure death benefit, but this shocks people People think, oh, I'm 50. I should have done this when I was 30. If I built a policy today for you for a 30-year-old and a 50-year-old, the cash value at the end of, say, year 10 would be very similar. The 50-year-old might even win. Like, it's that close Okay. because all that would happen, the 30-year-old put in, say, 20 grand a year, and he's going to have a death benefit of 800 grand. Well, the fifty-year-old is putting in twenty grand a year, and they're going to have a death benefit of two hundred and seventy-five thousand. So the dollars going towards the insurance is the same. The dollars going towards the cash value is the same. It's just the thirty-year-old unit cost is lower, so they can buy more death benefit, but it's not going to get them more cash value. Hmm. So that's the beauty of this. You can be fifty or fifty-five or whatever, sixty, and still. This totally makes sense if you can fund it for that six, seven years.
1: Okay, interesting. And if I have an existing death benefit policy in place, that's pretty good that way. I don't want to cancel my existing insurance. Can I add this policy here and more heavily weight it to the cash value and have a smaller death benefit? Yeah.
2: So the first thing we do is look at your current policies and say, okay, what do you have? Can we use one of those? Yeah. And then oftentimes, like what happened with me? Term insurance is great, right? If you need to replace your income, cover mortgages, cover like, don't crap on term insurance. I love term insurance, but it's met purely as a death benefit. So typically, when people start this, their death benefit isn't that high that they're going to get rid of their term insurance. But term insurance, that little sneaky renewal that bumps up every 10 or 20 years and you have these massive rate increases. Yeah. Well, I got to a point over time with my nine policies, my death benefit got to a point not right away, but after a while, I was like, you know what? I've got millions of dollars of death benefit here. I don't need to renew that term or maybe I can cancel that term. So I was able to free up $2,500 a year of cost I was spending on term because the dollar I was putting in my cash value was doing more than one job. It was growing my cash value for yeah. opportunities and retirement tax-free, but it was also providing a death benefit. And eventually it got to a point, but I would rarely, rarely Say, especially someone your age that would buy a new policy and would want to cancel their term insurance, because most people we talk to just don't have enough insurance anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, really what's a million dollars gonna do for a family with a couple of little kids? You know, 60000 dollars a year of income, forty,
1: is that gonna be enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I think that perspective is really great. And I don't know about you, Tom, but my wheels are spinning on different strategies for how this can be used and implemented in my own business and life in general. So I know I'll be booking a call, Darren, but yeah, for our listeners who wheels are likely spinning as well, what's the best way to reach you? You can check us out
2: on all our socials at Control and Compound. We got a big Instagram following, YouTube following. Our podcast is Control and Compound. We've got over 100 episodes on that. And that's really geared the business owner, real estate investor, and just people that like to talk about money and stuff. But actually, just for your listeners, we created a special landing page. So when people try to meet with us, there's a process to go through, and some qualify and some don't. But just for your listeners, we have a dedicated landing page, controlandcompound.com forward slash T-I-E. And if you go there, you get front of the line treatment. We're going to provide a couple of free webinars you can watch, and then when uh, you apply to work with us, because you're a
0: listener of the Inspired Entrepreneur, you jump right to the front of the line. We'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. But no, I appreciate this, Darren. And you know, we'll have that landing page in our show notes. And I'm pumped. Thank you for doing that for our listeners as well. Yeah, thank you so much, Darren. It was great to have you say. Got a great chat. Look forward to seeing you guys in person. Likewise. Take care.